This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild course language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax. This is Topop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. And I took a drink before we started today because I've continued my tradition of taking a drink at the most inopportune times on national television last week, Charlie, because I was on a television show called The Project. And as they came to me, I was uh, not really paying any attention. And literally, as I was about to talk, I took a drink of water, which is pretty much what I do every week here on our show. Well, it turns out that is now a multimedia experience that people can enjoy. I'm glad the bad habits you pick up on this show, you're now taking into your very successful career in other mediums. Yeah, eventually Tofop will take me down from the inside and I'll be destroyed <laughs> by what I created in the first place. Oh, speaking of uh, uh, things that could destroy you, can we talk about uh, why we had to cancel the show yesterday? Oh, yeah, absolutely we can. I, for a second, I thought you were going to talk about Russell Crowe because <laughs> we were having a conversation on the radio the other day about like comedians making fun of people and then having to um, you know, run into those people or deal with those people. And uh, we had had two in like within two weeks on the radio. One was Sam Newman who came into the studio who I have fair to say, said a lot of pretty terrible things about over the journey. And then the other one was uh, Russell Crowe, of course, we had on the show. So I told the story of how we'd named our podcast after Russell Crowe's band and how I'd had to kind of sit on that the entire time that Russell Crowe was in the studio. So I thought that's what you were going to talk about. But no, you're talking about yet another (laughs) in my ongoing uh, litany of it turns out I haven't treated my body well and now it's repaying me by breaking it at every instance. Yeah, so uh, we were meant to record yesterday and uh, Will sent us a message saying, guys, I can't go, I've got to see a, see a doctor, it's kind of an urgent visit. So what was wrong? Uh, well, I have a tumour, as some people, uh, I mean, I've spoken about it before, I have a benign tumour on my neck, it's called a... Sh- yeah, he hosts a, he hosts a podcast with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly, that's right, I call him Charlie. And uh, <laughs> essentially, he drains energy from me. No one really knows why he's there, but he goes everywhere with me. And um, so I have this benign tumor on my neck, and uh, it, it was it had swollen up, which it's not really meant to do. And uh, because of the place that it's on my neck, it was restricting my breathing. So basically, I had a giant uh, tumor on my neck that was stopping me breathing. So. I'm sorry that I had to cancel the podcast, but I felt like that was a priority in my life that I should. I was just looking at my schedule and I was like looking at all the things I had in my schedule. And I was like, you know what? Breathing would be helpful for almost all those things I have in my diary. So I should just check out the whole breathing thing before I go on with these projects. Well, I was rather impressed with how laissez-faire your notification that you had a tumor on your neck was. Like it was literally just a two-line text message saying, I have to see the doctor, uh, the tumor on my neck's uh, making it hard for me to breathe. <laughs> just like, all right, man, LOL. <laughs> like, 
A bit more information, please. Like, you, your tumor on your neck is choking you. Right. Well, that's what, basically what was happening. My tumor on my neck was making it hard for me to breathe. I gave you all the information in the most economical way I could possible. I'm sorry I didn't yeah. linger in the details, Charlie, but I was having trouble breathing because of my tumor on my neck. Can't breathe, but can still text. Right. This is the great thing about my life. I can now sit down again after three months of a bad back, but luckily my tumor's kicked in and I can't breathe while I'm sitting <laughs> But the best thing, Will, is the tumour will finally heal. Then you'll turn on Netflix and you'll realise you're blind. <laughs> oh, I am going blind. Did I tell you that? I'm losing my sight no. as well. I've got to the oh, point now shit. where I've noticed that, like, you know, if I need to read a label or something like that, that, like, I'm at full arms stretched to be able to read the label. So I'm going blind. I have a tumour in my neck that's stopping me from breathing. I had a bad back that stopped me from sitting down. I have osteoarthritis in my hips that stopped me from doing anything particularly energetic. Uh, it turns out, Charlie, that there are some repercussions for living your life flat out, never caring about what you're putting in your body and pushing it, but burning the candle at both ends. It turns out that that repays you in your mid-40s where just every day it's a new and delightful thing that could kill you. I mean, the thing about it is, and I'm like a guy who knows you pretty well, I see you quite a bit, you look good. Like I think to the untrained eye, you know, you, you still look like a healthy, relatively young man. But you're sort of like you're sort of like a vintage vehicle, like something that looks fantastic, like an old Mustang or something. But the owner of the vehicle knows everything is falling apart. Like if you, he needs to sell this car, but if you pop the hood, the sale's going to be off. Yeah, I've got a lot of character. I'm very much because we go for those sort of cars. I am very much. I mean, in fact, that might be the only reason that Amy still keeps me around is that she likes those sort of old, troublesome cars. Amy likes yeah. the sort of cars that when you take them to the mechanic, the, he goes, oh, well, maybe the kids can go to private school. And <laughs> I, I'm a bit like that. I'm a real delight. If you're a medical practitioner and you are worrying about, you know, paying the mortgage on your summer home, you are, I am the sort of person you want to see limp into your doctor's surgery because <laughs> you can put a pool in the backyard based on just what I have that will pop up while I'm in the waiting room. I like to think that first thing in the morning to get you started, Amy has to go pour like warm water across your eyes to take the frost off them and then attach a couple of jumper cables to your nipples just to get you started, you know? I actually need to leave you. I sleep on an angle because I can only start with a hill start. Sometimes they need a push, you know, they have to get another comedian in and they have to like jumper me awake. Yeah, no, I'm I'm in terrible shape. I'm falling apart. These are look, come and see my shows, guys, because they might be the last ones, because I'm probably gonna <laughs> die any minute now. I certainly never don't erase my internet history. Like like you know, in the old days, you might do the sort of thing that if you had been, you know, Googling a few things that you wouldn't want people to find. Um you you'd uh, you know, if I'm like maybe I'm away in Adelaide for a week. You don't need to clear your history until you, you know, you're back somewhere where someone else might use your computer, right? These days, mm. I imagine that I could drop dead at any stage. So everything gets erased immediately. I am constantly <laughs> in mode of if people found my body and everything around me, would they be cool with what they found? That's, that's the period of my life I'm in now. Yeah, right. That's actually, I've never thought of that. Like you have to seriously consider that people are going to be going through all your things. Like I've been doing this uh, thing. I've been keeping a journal every morning. I get up and I try and make it sort of stream of consciousness. So whatever I'm feeling when I'm half asleep, I sit down, I just write for about half an hour. And I was flicking back through the first few pages of it today. And I was like, 
these are the rantings of a madman. <laughs> like, if I drop dead, like, let's say I drop dead in your apartment, you know, the soup has to let himself in, the police come around, someone calls Gemma and say, look, we don't have any clues as to why he died just yet, but we did find this journal. <laughs> and she'd right. open the first page and it'd be some ranting about Colonel Sanders being not a real colonel. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think of that, Will. I've got to burn. I've got to burn this diary once I'm done with it. Well, that's the thing, because things that you find quite normal, like my notebooks, for example, my show notebooks, like I just filled with scribblings and you know, things that, like Amy told me the other day that she showed one of my notebooks to a friend of hers and their response was, is he okay? <laughs> was it the illustrations of the writing that set her off? Uh, well, it's a kind of, I have the, this way of like sticking things into a notebook and then putting random scribbles in the, it does look a little like if, if I were not like compiling a show, I guess mm. if you found that notebook, you would think, yeah, yeah. This, this is the sort of you're thing Ke a mentally you're ill Kevin person. S Kevin Spacey in seven, we're going to bust into your apartment and there's like just thousands of notebooks with the same maddening drawings and illustrations and fantasies about violence. Right. <laughs> Although if you, I mean, if I had to do like some kind of profile on you, considering what you've just told us about like the way your body has been, it wouldn't surprise me that if you had journals filled with angry images and like violent thoughts and stuff, because you're fighting against your own body every day. Yeah, but I don't have the energy to like rail against my body. Like, and the other thing about your body is that, you know, you can do some stuff to fix it. So I'm going to go and have an MRI on uh, Thursday um, you know you're full you're, of sleep, just like me. <laughs> well, you know you're in good shape when your doctor says to you, have you had an MRI? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I had an MRI. And then you realize, oh, yeah, I had an MRI, but not about this. I had an MRI about something else. Like, you know, I'm, I'm in the MRI game. Yes, I had an MRI, but that was around the waist area. This is a whole different MRI. So I went and saw this new guy yesterday because I'm in a, obviously in a new city. So... Um, mm. I'd been recommended to go and see uh, this dude mm. and he was from a generation of like eye, ear and throat family. So his dad yeah. was like an eye, ear and throat sort of like sur surgeon. Uh, and then there's like on the wall, there's this like four generations of like surgeons who have all been surgeons and all done the same thing in their family. So I go in to see him. He has like the plainest doctor's office of all time. Like it, it is so basic and all the stuff on the wall is like really really basic and he has all the like the proper equipment but like probably 90 percent of the tests he did were just like you know lift your arms up and like he'd hold me someplace and i'd do different things and i was like i like that i like the old school doctoring like i like a bit right. of hands-on sort of you know you know i'm gonna you know hold your hand here and sneeze and you know i'm gonna see what that means i quite like that i think yeah yeah I mean, doesn't that normally happen? Like, my GP touches me. <laughs> that sounds worse than Does I he? meant it. Yeah, just but, uh, lightly cups your balls, gently, and just yeah. says, tell us about Blue Healers. <laughs> I, I remember when I was about 12 years old, I used to get um, stomach cramps or just pains in my gut that no one really knew what they were. And I remember, like, I would have been about 10, I think I was, or maybe a bit younger, eight, eight nine or 10, and uh, so mum had the family GP come around who was like a, um, uh, my brother's best mate was his dad, who was this really old guy, this doctor. And mum was in the living room and, you know, my brothers and sisters are coming and going and stuff. And he comes in and puts the bag down and does this test. And he's like, okay, just uh, pop 
pop your ducks off and uh, bend over on the couch. And he did like a rectal examination in the living room, like broad daylight in like, the living not room. Even, not, yeah, like I was on the living room couch with this uh, finger up my bum. I remember just thinking, oh, this is, I'm not into this. This reminds me of school. Yeah. <laughs> Reminds me of being an altar boy. Yeah, it's like, hang on, mum, are you sure this is a doctor or a priest? But you know, there's that old thing about like, you know, bedside manner and some doctors, they've just seen everything and you're just a body and like, you know, I mean, this dude was an old doctor, like he didn't care. He's fucking delivering babies on the street. He's right. sticking fingers up bums in living rooms. He didn't give a fuck. <laughs> I don't even need a surgery anymore, mate. Just meet me, meet me at the park. I got, I'll rub my BMX down. Are you actually a doctor? Yeah. <laughs> Would someone who wasn't a doctor have a van like this? <laughs> I forgot that doctors used to make home visits. That that's an interesting transition, isn't it? When doctors went yeah. from that they come around to your house to that you have to go and visit them. Like I mean, I know there was always a doctor's surgery, but there was a time where the doctor was really I wonder if that's like an Uber thing. Do you think Uber would get into the like doctor medicine because they yeah. i saw that, that that's a good a idea chance they're gonna do uber uber sort of ambulances right like oh well, yeah that's go on. that makes sense i mean because all uber are really are a connection service so i mean if you find uh, doctors willing to make home visits again and somehow i don't know maybe when there's driverless cars or like uber get their own fleet or whatever you just get your doctor uber are we giving away a million dollar idea here should we have an app called doctor and it's got like, it doesn't have an O at the end. So it's like, you know, I mean, actually D-C-T-R. That's what it's called. Doctor. And it's doctor. like, yeah, doctor. doctor. It's like deregistered doctor. doctors who will come around yeah. your house. Deregistered. Yeah, deregistered. So they're qualified. They've just been struck yeah. off the medical register. So, you know, you're getting a qualified professional, but you're just kind of getting your Dr. Nick version of your qualified professional. And then, yeah, and, then well, can, and our motto is... I'm not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess when you book an Uber, yeah. that's random as well. You don't know the quality of the driver, their age, their experience or whatever. You know, maybe they don't even have a license. From what I hear, it's pretty easy to fool Uber. <laughs> they don't check records too closely, I believe. Definitely not criminal records. Well, I'd like to think this was an opportunity for like, you know, much like Uber, you know, re retired doctors. You know, people yeah. who just don't want to doctor full-time, but, you know, are just doing some, you know, part-time doctoring. And we can specialize, like, we can have categories for the kind of doctors. So if you want, like, an inspirational Patch Adams kind of whimsical sort of doctor, that guy will come around. Like, he'll be a doctor, but he'll be wearing, like, clown shoes or something when he comes in. Oh, yes. I, yeah, I like that. You can make requests for your doctor. Trademark. Yeah, and then you can have... And then you can have a doctor with a tragic backstory. So there's a doctor who lost his own daughter or something like that. And so he has to save people because he always feels like he couldn't save his own daughter. That could be a category. Right. Or you want some sort of like house, like kind of, you know, on the spectrum sort of mad yeah. genius doctor. Genius. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like your Uber X, like your Uber XL or your like Uber Black. There'd be different categories where you're just like a clown, uh, eccentric on the spectrum autism doctor. Uh, old yeah. friendly family doctor. And then you could also, you know, you could scoop up all that uh, Silk Road clientele or Craigslist clientele by getting doctors who are very liberal with the prescription pad. Yes. Like that could be a special kind of Uber as well. I must admit, I met one of those sort of doctors recently. And right. uh, 
it's quite a dangerous thing. I was uh, had to be. I was I was somewhere and I needed to pick up a prescription for um, somebody else, and the prescription was meant to be left there by the doctor, and the doctor hadn't uh, left it there for this person, and the other person who worked there was just like, oh yeah, I'll write the prescription. Uh, who's it for? Uh, what did they need? What quantity? And I was like. I'm not the person and I don't really know these things and I'm not sure you're allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't they have to sign it or are they just expecting to get the doctor's signature when they came back? I just assumed that they, this person was also a, a doctor of some kind. Oh, oh but, right. <laughs> but they weren't really asking a lot of questions. They were just pretty much happy to go, you've arranged it with somebody else, no worries. Whatever you need, I'll sign it. Um, yeah, over here, I've been ta- I went out for dinner with some friends and hearing Americans talk about, like, what it costs to go to the doctor, you just forget, like, how lucky we are. I mean, I'm really, even when you have insurance, these kind of bills coming in, they're so high. I don't, it must be terrifying to live in a place where, you know, you're sort of one accident away from total bankruptcy. It doesn't make any sense. Well, not just an accident. A dear friend of ours, both of ours, just had uh, their appendix out in the U.S., and something like that, you can't do anything about. Like, because my attitude was always, if I got sick over there, most things would cost less than a flight home. So my immediate reaction was, as long as I wasn't too sick, I would just get on a plane and go back to Australia and get it done in Australia. That was essentially my medical plan, was to fly yeah, that's, 14 uh, that's hours exactly, around the world. <laughs> literally, after I got home from that dinner, I went and checked how long it would take me. It's like 14 hours yep. back to Sydney. Well, I guess unless it was something really urgent, right. I'll, I'll go with a fucking broken arm. <laughs> Yeah, if I broke my arm, I would be more likely to, to hail someone and say, take me to the airport. And they're like, don't you mean hospital? I was like, no, I do not. I mean the international terminal. Take me now. You go through that screening machine. We have to put your arms above your head and you're like, oh, God, I'll have to dislocate my shoulder to do this, but it's still cheaper. Yeah, I'm reenacting that scene from Lethal Weapon and I'm just slamming my shoulder into a wall just so I can get on a plane. Yeah, it's crazy. It's really it, that and the, and the gun laws thing while you're living over here because that's, you know, the, the two big discussion points. And it's, it's so weird that it's almost like you have more right to kill someone than you do to save your own life. <laughs> right. It's this weird economy. Well, that's what the rights discussion always comes down to, doesn't it? It's someone's right to own a gun they think that that somehow is uh, kind of uh, is over someone else's right to go to school without the fear that they're going to get shot at primary school. That's the thing for me. It's not even that if it ever happens you know, to you, but the fact that every child who goes to school in America is going to get taught things like gun drills and you know what happens if there's a shooter on campus and these sort of things. And I guess that's the responsible thing to do. But it's one of those things where you're like, imagine having to raise your kids in an environment where they go to primary school and they have to go through a drill of what happens when someone comes to the school with a gun and tries to shoot everyone. Mm. I mean, but, you know, then you think about, like, just say, just say, just say some strong legislation was passed and they did get rid of, say, AR-15s or semi-automatic weapons or whatever. How long do you think, before you saw a change, do you think you'd see an immediate... De- decrease in mass shootings or do you think it would they'd find another weapon i mean it it is true that there's a lot of guns in this country 
Well, there's probably too many, and that's probably the problem. That's probably why it's been so hard for them to do anything serious about these gun laws, is that there are so many guns already circulating in the society that it would be hard. Mm. You know, when Australia, I mean, you know, there's that great Jim Jeffries routine that's all about this, so I don't want to, you know, step mm. on any of that. But we, as a country, we genuinely did that thing of going, we had one big mass shooting, and then just everyone basically went, yeah, nah, you can have our guns. It's fine. <laughs> Here you go. Like, I mean, I know there was some protest about it, but in a general sense, even like, you know, most gun owners were like, no, 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 no. I probably don't need an automatic, uh, you know, an automatic you know, rifle or whatever to, you know, shoot some rabbits on the farm. You can have the gun back. When they, um, when they did that gun buyback scheme, because my father was like a sports shooter, shot like clay pigeons and stuff like that. So we had a couple they of shotguns. Shot sports people. That's what he, that was his big yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, we, we bagged for the Saints, so he went through a lot of bullets. <laughs> the 80s, this is the 80s massacre, the 80s Saints massacre. Uh, no, we had a couple of shotguns and a, a 22, and so we didn't use them. So I was like, well, you know, they're doing a gun buyback. I'll just hand it in as part of the amnesty. And I was like 18 or 19 when that happened. And I didn't even think. Like, I literally walked into a police station with three guns, like, holding them. Didn't have them in a cover, not wrapped in a blanket or anything. Literally just like the Terminator kicked the door in, <laughs> carrying three <laughs> fucking rifles. And these cops were like, mate, 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 mate. And I'm like, no, I want to give them back. Like, you don't walk into a police station like two weeks after a mass shooting carrying three rifles. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and the way you kick the door open because you had the rifles in your hand, it came yeah. across as really intimidating, mate. Just, <laughs> just, you haven't really just thought of how you're perceived. That's all we're saying. We get that you're doing the right thing. We appreciate you brought the guns back. The way that you've slung one over your shoulder, you've got one in each arm and you kick the door through and then you screamed yeah. out, I've got guns, motherfucker. It just kind of freaked everyone around the police station. <laughs> um, Did you fire guns on the farm? No, my dad, uh, my dad uh, interestingly enough, because you always think about that, right? Like, you know, farmers are the ones who need guns. But my dad... Uh, didn't believe in guns well he liked to kill animals with his bare hands he liked yeah. to see the life die yeah he like he literally that was the thing that got him off he said look <laughs> i'm anti-guns if you can't kill a cow by choking it and looking it in the eye so you see its last bit of life extinguished then i just can't enjoy the sausages that's that was his motto <laughs> he said i'm anti-gun but i tell you what i love punching up a kangaroo <laughs> i will punch that little fucker to death oh if you saw my dad karate kick a fox, you would never. You don't know what real aggression is till you see a hayfield farmer pick up a sheep and give it a pile driver. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I first got my love of wrestling. Exactly. I mean, my dad literally at one stage went through a seven period. Where he would kill the animals <laughs> one by one based on the various plot points from Seven. It was just a fun time around the farm. Well, that was better than when he went through his saw period and he would trap the animals somewhere and give them an ironic form of, of punishment and see which one of them would kill themselves or kill the other one to escape. I never thought the chickens appreciated it. You know, they were like, well, we're locked up most of the time anyway. We don't really see what the thing is here. And they never really understood that, you know... That there was somebody else who was an evil manipulator. So growing up in the country, though, did your mates have guns? Like, was how, like, gun-happy were you dudes? Yeah, so there was a thing called um, Spotlight, 
you know, so... Yeah, the... we have them in the city too, pal. It's where you go to buy curtains and stuff, yeah. right? The most <laughs> exactly. boring the most boring store on the planet. The only planet a mother can take a rowdy toddler and it just lulls them into submission through sheer boredom. My, my most loathed department store is a fucking... Not department store, store is a, a spotlight. Well, it's a, it's a material store, isn't it? It's like... Um... Curtains and foam ball. You find the foam balls, you think they're going to be fun, but then you try and bounce one and they've got no spring in them. It's like there's nothing there to amuse a child. It's designed, it's like a, what are they called? Like a Faraday cage. It's meant to insulate you. It insulates a child from their imagination. You take them into a spotlight. Amy uh, had to go to spotlight recently and she made me stay outside. So I think there's probably nothing for a fully grown adult man in there as well. <laughs> she was just like, stay out the front. I don't want you to come But the in thing here. is... But it hints at being fun because they'll have like a Garfield towel or something. And you're like, okay, cool. There might be more like your cartoon characters or something. But then no, there's not. It's just fabrics, just fabrics and hooks and foam balls. So boring. So um, there was a game called Spotlight. Do you know this? It's a, <laughs> So they would get, um, you might play a junior version of it, which is like you you know, you're out at night with your friends in the dark and you use flashlights to kind of spot each yeah. other, right? Well, there's yeah. a grown-up version of that where you're on the back of the ute and they have like a proper industrial sort of spotlight situation and they shoot rabbits and stuff. So it was very big for I believe it's I believe it's depicted quite famously in the film Crocodile Dundee. Remember when they're shooting ruse and then Crocodile Dundee's like disguised as a kangaroo and he shoots back? Yeah. Nice so one, Skip. That's very much. So we would do a bit of that. And often Paul Hogan would be there dressed as a kangaroo <laughs> because that bit of Crocodile and D is actually based on true life. <laughs> so you'd go shooting. So you fired a gun? No, I would never go. That's what I was going to say. Oh, right. I, I, my dad doesn't shoot guns and I was raised not shooting guns. My brother, I think, has shot guns. Um, the first time I ever shot guns was at a shooting range I, I'm, I reckon we shot some on Hamilton Island which is like a tourist you know resort in Queensland and uh, I think I remember you telling me about this was that with Hamo yeah so Justin Hamilton was up there and Amy came up as well because it was one of those gigs where essentially um you know for doing the gig you know you got like three days or whatever all expenses paid at Hamilton Island so uh, Amy came up and you know we kind of had a free range to go and do all the activities they have there so they have a gun shooting range and it was the first time Amy had shot a gun and she shot it so well that even the instructor <laughs> turned to her and went, have you fired a gun before? And I was like, all right, well, that's something to keep in mind. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> Let's just store that one away in your memory, importantly. And then we went to a gun range in uh, L.A., and right. um, they the, the LA gun range and we shot guns there one day and I hated it. It's just not an experience. I don't even enjoy the controlled sort of environment of shooting a gun. I don't enjoy the experience. Um, I don't enjoy any of the stuff beforehand where like, you know, there's just constant reminders of how dangerous it is. Like, you know, you have mm. to go to the gun range with someone else because they don't let mm. single men go and shoot by themselves because single men sometimes just go out there, get a gun and kill themselves. Like, mm. and so you're reminded of that, like, and you're like, well, what's to stop the person who's in the gun range next to me just deciding this is fun. Why don't I just turn to that person next to me and shoot them? Like all that sort of stuff is just, yeah. I, it, I, I have no 
desire or joy what about you you must have like you've played a cop you must have done some did you do gun training on uh, blue healers yeah 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 i spent my time at the police academy <laughs> learned how to fire a gun and make guitar noises with my mouth yeah uh. you went to pretend police academy before you graduated to pretend policing <laughs> I would talk really quietly the whole time I was there. Then at the very end, I'd, I'd yell. I've got to like, use my big boy voice. <laughs> There's this really tall bloke. A good lift a cop car. Uh, <laughs> now they gave us we weapon training. And then I didn't fire one as part of the training. They, I just used a, like a dummy weapon. But then in the course of doing the show, there's like a police consultant and an armorer. And so if the storyline required firing a weapon or, start, or, or, or something. But I used to fire, like I used to shoot when I was a kid. On my friend's farm, we used to have to like um, eradicate feral cats, which I did once, and then I just was so disturbed by it. Like to go around and just like just go out and execute these animals. And I understand that feral cats are a massive problem, and someone needs to do it. I just did not enjoy doing that. <laughs> no. And then, uh, and then I had um, I had air rifles as a kid as well, and I used to just shoot tins in the backyard. And then one day I decided to to go for something a bit more active and I shot a bird and the bird flew off and I was like, oh, maybe I missed it. And then about five minutes later, it landed in the backyard and I'd blown off its beak and my father had to come out and kill it. And it was like, I don't, I don't, I'm not enjoying this. <laughs> like I, I'm not against like hunting per se or people who like, you know, hunt for food or whatever, you know, I'm not into sport hunting, or whatever, but I understand, you know, that something that needs to be done. I'm just not one of those people. Right. And I think that was my dad's attitude on the farm was there are people who will come around. Like we had someone come around and shoot foxes or whatever because they're going to get in and kill the, you know, the, the farm animals. But he didn't feel like that was something that he needed to do himself. He felt like that was something you could get the man in to come and do that. And I'm a bit like that. I'm, I don't think, you know, we live in a world where, you know, like, f you know, feral animals sometimes have to be eradicated for the good of other animals and, you know, the nature and wildlife and all those sort of things. But I don't feel like that's a job that everybody... I remember, okay, the closest I ever got to appreciating uh, hunting was one duck season. So I would have been about 13 or 14 years old and they used to have this thing at duck season where, so this is my prime fatty years. So no, probably more like 11 or 12. <laughs> so before I had my growth spurt, but was eating as if I was about to have a major growth spurt. And I remember that uh, it was the first day of duck season and they celebrated at our local thing where they got like massive spits and cooked all the ducks and everyone like brought salads mm. and foods and there was like entertainment. And it felt like, well, it felt like something from Vikings. You know, like yeah, you yeah, just yeah, go around that. and at any stage, if you wanted like more duck off the spit, you could just go and get some. And as like a kid who loved to eat, like it was just like, yeah. it was my ultimate sort of fantasy at this party. So I must admit that was probably the one day where I was like, yeah, I like this. Was it like the last panel of an Asterix comic where they're all sitting around eating like wild boar and partying and shit? It's exactly what it was like. I was drinking from yes. a gourd <laughs> of some kind. <laughs> And we're back. <laughs> I don't think we ever went away. Oh, that's unfortunate. What do you think? Do you think it was better us doing it live in the middle or do you think it was a bit weird doing it live in the middle? What do you, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I thought it was a bit weird. I think, you know, we can focus on it more because we had been talking about other stuff. Maybe like our attention wasn't as focused on it. I don't yeah. think it was bad. I think it bring, I thought it brought a new, you know what? It was probably better for the show than it was for movement. 
Like doing it at the start is better for movement, maybe not so great for the show, but this was great for the show. Okay, good. Good review. Well, thank you, the show that isn't our sponsor. <laughs> Screw you, movement, apparently, who are our sponsor. We're sponsoring, our, we're sponsoring ourselves from now on. How about this movement? We turn the tables. We're going to sponsor you. <laughs> Yet another from your long litany of ways that we can lose money on this podcast. Suddenly, we we're, start paying we're the our only podcast that sponsors movement watches. In fact, we're going to sponsor Movement Watches. We're going to sponsor Casper Mattresses. We're going to sponsor Audible.com. Nah, how about this? How about we send Movement like a a brief sheet, like they've sent us, and we get someone, the CEO, to record like an endorsement of TOEFOP. Okay, go back to the top and imagine we're the two guys. Okay, so we're the two guys from Movement. Now run us through the script as if we're endorsing TOEFOP. So we're going to do it again, but like it's, it's us. Okay. We're the guys from Movement, and we. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll I'll feed you I'll feed you some ideas, and then I can work it into the copy. Yeah, so great. what we, what what do you believe Tofop was found? What idea was Tofop founded on? Uh, Tofop was founded on no idea. Okay. Tofop the podcast was founded on no idea. <laughs> oh, what are our goals? <laughs> Tofop the podcast what? was founded on the idea that any two idiots could make entertainment. Tofop the podcast was founded on the idea that any two idiots can make entertainment. That's good. Okay. That's the first line. All right, good. Now, um, what, uh, what, what are our goals for our listeners? Um, well, goals for our listeners are to... What are our goals for our listeners? Never really thought about um, that. Just to, just to forget about the kind of futility of life for a while. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's good. To forget about the futility of life for a while. All right. The, podcaster, the podcaster's goal is to make you think about, forget about the futility of life for a while and to listen to something while you're at the gymnasium. Oh, well, you've freestyled that. I'm not sure that both of the members of uh, TOEFOP agree with that, but sure. Okay. With over, I don't know what our downloads are, with over blah, 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 downloads a month, uh, TOEFOP has solidified itself as a podcast. <laughs> Will talk about your talk, Will talk about your personal experience with Tofop. How has it changed your life? Well, here's the thing: down at the Movement Factory, uh, sometimes you know we've got to put something on uh, to time, if see if the watches are working properly. So what we'll actually do is we'll have our movement watches and we'll put on a podcast. We'll read how long, say, iTunes says the podcast should be, and then we will time it using our movement watches to make sure that they are absolutely precise. Tofop's great for that. Is- the sound quality in the first hundred episodes is so bad we could never hear what they were saying. We never knew when the show had even started. Yes, it's so, true. <laughs> Tofop was started by well, not two broke college kids. Tofop was started by a wealthy Australian comedian and a broke actor. Yeah, but eventually two broke people. <laughs> if we do the podcast long enough, it will eventually be two broke people. Tofop, Tofop episodes start at zero dollars. For another podcast, you might be paying more. You might be. Is that true? Do people still pay for podcasts? Yes, that's right. Some people have subscription services. Some people have to pay money for past episodes. TOEFOP, free. Free. TOEFOP figured out that by putting the podcast online for free, they were able to cut out out any semblance that they would ever make a profit. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. It's much better if you're a watch company than it is if you're a podcast. We should not advertise. 
Okay, give us a simile for Tofop when I say classic design, oh. quality construction, style minimalism. Classic design. Uh, it is uh, a terrible. Uh, oh no! Is, what what is it? Badly designed. Uh well, I was thinking. I was leaning. You're leaning more on the design. I was leaning more on the classic. I was like old jokes. Oh, I saw, yeah, classic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> old jokes. Quality construction. Well, since we got Mike Hal involved, better. Like, do you think? I mean, if. If movement came out and said, look, to be honest, when we made the first 20 watches, it was all over the shop. <laughs> the springs are flying everywhere. They couldn't keep time. One woman even got electrocuted. But look, then we got this guy and everything's sweet now. They're really good. Some of the watches that, early on had three hands. <laughs> <laughs> they do have three hands, you dickhead. Do they? Minute, hour and seconds. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I assume they only had two. I didn't realize they had a second hand. Uh, with over, I don't know how many episodes downloaded in. I think we're downloaded in about 40 countries. But 160. That's, 160 plus countries. In some countries, it's literally like one download. There is like some poor expat in Thailand or something who downloads this every week. Well, 80 I countries, imagine, says Mike Al. Well, there you go. We're half, as, we're half as good as bloody movement watchers. Yeah, so that's not too bad. Downloaded in 80 countries. And, and Movement haven't said that they're selling a lot of watches in each of those countries. There might be a country or two where like, they've only sold one or two watches. Mm. And since they discovered that tribe that have six arms, uh, they're making a killing now, Movement. <laughs> Imagine if Movement came out and said, look, to be honest, the biggest uh, break in our business is we found that tribe who have six arms. So we're selling... <laughs> We're selling like five or six watches to each of those people. They can't afford department Mate. store watches. I mean, like it's going to say you're broke if you've got six arms and you need a watch for each arms. Thank God they discovered that tribe because movement watches has gone gangbusters and now fidget spinners are fucking making a killing too. Right. <laughs> all right. The all rest right. of it's all uh, yeah. call to action. We can't really do that for no. our podcast. I think we've probably done, you know... This ad's now gone for nearly 20 minutes, so we've probably done our job. Oh, we really did. <laughs> that was a long ad. I wish they paid us. I mean, if they paid us for... By length. The minutes... Yeah, we could just filibuster the shit out of this. We could do like a 24-hour episode of Tofop. Right. Yeah, I mean, it'd still have the same level of quality. Like some podcasts, you know, would really drop off after the first hour or two. But the nice thing about us is, you know, with our style minimalism, that, that you know, <laughs> we don't... We don't hit too many peaks, so over a 24-hour period, you'd, you know, it'd be fine. Did you see any of the Oscars? No, I didn't watch it, but um, did you? Did you watch it? No, I'm not really an Oscars fan. When I was younger, I used to really love it, but I like, you know, when you're an actor and stuff, a lot of people have like Oscar parties and stuff and get very excited when I go to a bar and watch it, and I'm just like, kind of find it kind of boring. I like... I'll watch it on catch-up. I'll watch like the pre-recorded segments and stuff and the monologue, but I don't really, I don't really care. They're no, just, I mean, for me, it's like three months of actors um, getting together to give each other trophies. And I just don't, mm. I, it always feels tone deaf to me. Like just the idea that like, you know, essentially Hollywood must operate for nine months of the year and then they spend three months off just like patting each other on the back and getting dressed up in fancy clothes and giving each other trophies. It, like, I mean, I have no problem with an awards night and every industry, you know, has their own mm. awards nights and whatever. Um, but 
it just feels very self-congratulatory, the Hollywood system of it. And I think by the time you get to the Oscars, we've seen so many of them now. Like, you know, in the old days, I guess you didn't see the results of the the BAFTAs or the Screenwriters Guild Awards or the, you know, mm. whatever else happens in the lead up. So by the time you get there, it's not even like you're that excited about Frances McDormand making a speech or whatever because you've seen her make like three speeches yeah. in the last fortnight. So I just feel like, I don't know, it, it doesn't hold much appeal for me, I must say. But it also just feels like, it feels old. Like the concept feels old. I think, you know, the concept of award shows and, you know, I watched a bit of the Independent Spirit Awards and, you know, that was much more laid back, much looser, much funnier. And it's almost like, you know, podcasting is to is to commercial radio what independent spirit awards is to the academy awards like one i'm like oh yeah, this seems much more natural and you know it's more fun and they're not taking it as seriously it's there's looking because the oscar films too like when i was younger i feel like you know those are the kind of films that appealed to me the really you know popular mainstream ones but now i get older it's like it's i'm less and less interested in seeing oscar films like there's a whole bunch of thing, films that i'll never watch like i'm not interested in seeing the post or anything like that I even started The Shape of Water. I'll have to go back to it because Gemma gets sent all the screeners. But um, we waited like two weeks to watch that. Two weeks when we were in this house at the same time where we weren't working. We put it on and I fell asleep after the first half an hour. You're like, like, get to the fish fucking. When did it? I've heard so much about Aquaman gets a blowjob or something. (laughs) Did you see the Lonely Island uh, thing? Yes. So that would have been hilarious. So if people haven't seen this, we might be able to even post it to the Facebook page or whatever. But I, I, I tweeted it yesterday. Just go to my Twitter feed. It's only be a couple of days old. Uh, so the, the concept was, do you want to run people through it? Uh, yeah. So the concept was like the Oscars snu- snubs kind of successful commercial film. So it starts off with like Thor and Wonder Woman singing, like, why don't they get the respect? Because, you know, their films make lots of money. And then it sort of goes further and further into kind of like all these kind of big movie stars that aren't acknowledged. And there was, I don't know how, because they, they, it's, it's, a, it's a, a proof of concept. It's, it's, this is how they said, this is how we would have done it. And so they're just using still images. I don't know how they're going to pull it off because they had all these actors, like, you know, they had the, all the Chris's, Pine, Hemsworth, um, Evans and uh, Pratt. But I couldn't work out, were they going to be there playing themselves? Because if they had got all these actors playing themselves in all the roles, like Chris Hemsworth playing Thor, Gal Gadot playing Wonder Woman, it would have been amazing. It It would have been the most hilarious thing you have ever seen at the Oscars, I would have thought. Because, I mean, that thing with all the the best Chris's, where they've got all the Chris's, and then Chris Rock turns up as well, would have (laughs) just been, you could just see how hilarious that would have been. But I I guess the logistics of getting all those people together... Because it was, it's a big fucking music video. It's like a big, like, you know, song and dance number. And it's like, you're going to get those people together. You need to have them for a while. And I imagine, you know, they're all the biggest stars in Hollywood. I know, but it is the Oscars and that show is going out, you know, all around the world. It probably is one of those things where, you know, for a lot of them, more people would have seen that sketch than saw the movies, you know, that they're talking about. I mean, particularly, I think the hardest one to get would have been the whole joke at the end with Michael Fassbender, you know, making jokes about the snowman. (laughs) That snowman, that was great. It was so funny, but I'm like, I'm not sure that Fassbender would have been up for this somehow. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, because basically he plays a guy who has no idea that his film bombed or was a critical failure. <laughs> like That's why I was wondering, are they going to get the actors to play themselves or are they just going to, you know, impersonate the actors? 
yeah, had you seen many of the Oscar films like uh, uh, Get Out and Fish for Water? What's it called? Fish for Water. Uh, fish the, and Water. Yep. Shape uh, of Water. Fish Sex. Uh, what did, what, what's, <laughs> no, what, what was the popular online? Uh, grinding Nemo, I believe, is what people <laughs> yeah, were going with. Right. Um, uh, I've seen The Shape of Water, which I enjoyed. Um, I I have seen Get Out, which I enjoyed. I have seen Three Billboards, which I enjoyed most of. Yes. All right. Let's talk about that. Because I did. Is it the the third act you didn't like? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's no it, good. It, it's no good. It's no, that's why. Like, the reason I didn't enjoy the third act is the third act is no good and really tone deaf. Like essentially spoilers. But it finishes on the idea of, I think racism solved. I think we've sorted it out in this car ride. The end. Yeah. Like it and, sets let's go up, kill so- and, let's, and let's go kill someone. Yeah. <laughs> right? It sets up a really intriguing idea. And it, there's some really fantastic performances in that movie. But I don't think it's... And I love uh, the dude who directed it, who did In Bruges. And, um, yeah. you know, he's a really... Seven psychopaths. Yeah. Interesting writer. And uh, I just, for some... Mm. I didn't think the third act was any good at all. Um, what else? I think of, it, it, it sort of felt to me like... It had all these kind of incendiary ideas that it would set up, but then not explore or see through. Like characters kept doing things that were shocking or like, you know, they're real kind of like Oscar moments, you know, like, oh, like, but I felt like it was just after a while, it's like, no one seems to be dealing with the consequences of, of any of this kind of behavior. In fact, I mean, unless that's the kind of message of the film is that you know hate just goes on and on and on there is no resolution for it maybe i don't know but i did sort of feel like in that third act all the characters started behaving in ways that was inconsistent with how they'd been set up yeah i agree with that and also there's a running joke that francis francis mcdormand's character um that peter dinklage's character wants to you know have sex with francis uh, mcdormand's character and she's like not Mm. into it and I just don't mm. buy someone not wanting to have sex with Peter Dinklage. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm sorry, but that ship has sailed. You can't use the fact that, you know, Peter Dinklage is like, oh, you know, even the local dwarf wants to have sex with me. No, it's Peter Dinklage. Anyone would be happy to get some Dinklage in them. Do you think Peter Dinklage refers to his penis as the, Dink- the Dinklage? The Dinklage. I mean, it's, it does sound like a euphemism for a dick. It's time to see the Dinklage. He's had that sound effect installed in his belt. <laughs> uh, what else got nominated for best film? Dunkirk. I've seen that. Uh, Haven't seen that. Yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, you know what it is? It's stunningly impressive. There's not a lot of um, dialogue, but I heard somebody talking about the fact that. Uh, the Darkest Hour and Dunkirk mm. are almost companion pieces because they're about yeah, essentially that. the same thing. Did you listen to uh, Pod Save America today? <laughs> oh, is that, no, I haven't actually. But they they say, that? say that exact thing. Yeah, because I, I, I was listening to it just before I jumped on this podcast. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I was listening to another podcast that also made the exact same point. Uh, yeah. Right. But it's right, it, which is that idea of like it's kind of the same events, and one of them is very much a talky. Sort of, I haven't seen The Darkest Hour, but from what I've heard, it's, it's very much a sort of, you know, talky behind the scenes sort of thing. And Dunkirk is definitely the opposite. It is all visual. It cuts from one thing to another. It's one of those films, you know, I like a bit of dialogue and I like a bit of story, but it was one of those ones where I was like, this is visually 
uh, a spectacular sort of telling and kind of creating of the this sort of feeling and emotion. It wouldn't have been mm. for everyone, but it was. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was very technically a good piece of work. Um, I'll mm. tell you what I didn't like at all. Left right. me absolutely cold. Was um, what's the Greta uh, Gerwig um, Lady Ladybug that everybody uh, loved. Ladybird. Everybody yeah, loved right. that film, and I like her. And mm. I thought that was going to be great, but I just really was left cold by that. Just didn't do anything for me. Yeah, I remember enjoying it. I liked someone who grew up in like a kind of Catholic middle class neighborhood. I liked, I saw a lot of things that I could like, I, I recognized, but yeah, I, didn't I come saw out of a it. lot of things I recognized too, because every single moment in that movie was something that I'd seen in a movie before. <laughs> That's why you recognized it, because it was not an original idea in the whole movie. It was just a retreading of every coming of age story that's ever been told. I didn't quite understand where the, the fascination was. I was just like, have we not seen this story a million times? Is this really a uh, new and interesting story? I, th I felt like it had an original voice. I mean, I understand what you're saying. It, it reeks of indie film. Like, it just feels like every kind of indie film. But I don't know. I think I've kind of liked your relationship with the mother and the way that that wasn't resolved. And I like the way how the ending was kind of a downer. Like, she gets into school, but, you know, just all this shit and self-doubt is just going to start over again. I don't know. I, I, guess like that, I guess that's part of it as well. It's like, is the whole point of this movie kind of whether she'll get into NYU? That doesn't really feel like a, I mean, it just, enough. it doesn't feel like enough to me. Like, you know, I'm like, yeah. it didn't really feel like there was, I mean, maybe that was the point of it, but it was, it was certainly I, not for me. I, I think when you make a movie about an apathetic or eccentric teenager, people are too scared to say they don't get it. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> Juno, you know, like Juno, like anything. Well, I'm not. Since I didn't since, get it. <laughs> And I'm not afraid to say it. In fact, my, my emotion about every five minutes in the movie, because it's one of those ones that at the start, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to like this. It's a bit like Juno. Yeah. I love Juno. I thought that was a really cool film. And I'm like, yeah, this is cool. It's a kind of coming of age film. It's kind of quirky. You know, the girl in it is like the sort of girl that I would be attracted to in real life. You know, a bit sort of... It's kind of girl that you would have a badge maker made up with her face on it. Right, exactly. <laughs> like this feels like the sort of thing that I would really enjoy. And then about every five minutes i would just turn to amy and go i don't get it <laughs> <laughs> i remember i was leaving a cinema after seeing boyhood and everyone in the cinema like you know had clearly was enjoying it had loved it had been very animated and then as i got up i just saw this like really old dude in the front with his wife and he just turns and goes that was the worst piece of crap i've ever seen that whiny little prick get a haircut that's a good example right i think you're because i loved boyhood so maybe this yeah. is just like girlhood and i don't get it because it's not about you know that experience because i responded to boyhood. did you find I, I mean i find in films like that like i don't particularly like juno and it's mainly because i just don't like that character i find her like annoying the kind of person i wouldn't like to spend time with did you find ladybird annoying I think... Is that, was that the problem? No, it, that wasn't the problem because that sort of character I've enjoyed in other things. I just found mm. the movie, I just kept going, is this it? Yeah. And maybe that's the point, but... There, and look, Boyhood, I can definitely understand that people had that reaction to that and I loved it. It took me to a time and place and the way that it was made and all those sort of things really spoke to me. And I guess like, I don't have the experience of A, being a teenage girl going through something like this and B 
the, the relationship with the mother is not obviously something that I've experienced. So maybe there's a there's an added element to this if you are the person who sort of experienced that or seen that close up where you respond to this movie in a way that, you know, that I don't. But Charlie, but there's also I don't yeah. get it. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. I think there's a thing too, because you're saying that you, you could tell, you, you felt conscious of the fact that it was a movie, that there's movie moments. And I had that same feeling when everyone was in love with Little Miss Sunshine. I remember going to see that and everyone's like, oh, it's this indie darling, blah, blah, blah. But when I saw it, all I could see was the moving parts. I was interested to find out afterwards that the couple, I think they're a husband and wife who directed it, they make ads. And that's what I felt like I was watching. I'm like, here is a collection of appealing moments, bittersweet moments, like no different to the new Apple you know, iPhone ad or, or, or whatever. It's like, you know, my wife makes commercials. I, I know how these things are done. They're designed to kind of create little mini sequences and set pieces. And I think it's, once you sort of don't buy into, once you don't buy into the premise or the style, then everything it do, it's just going to start grinding on you, which it sounds like it did with Ladybird. Yeah, like you know, a movie's in trouble when you're starting in your head trying to come up with the pun that best describes how you didn't like it. I settled <laughs> on Lady Board, but ah, oh, nice. But which Lady but, Turd? Yeah, uh, that went. That was certainly on the table. Uh, Lamey yeah. Bird at one stage <laughs> yeah. was there. There was a whole bunch of them, but. Yeah, Lady Board, I think, was the one that I ended up settling on. Because that's all it was. I just found it a bit boring. Yeah. You would. You would, you bloody white goddamn... I can't think. What are the other uh, straight white male... What do they call you? Um, why, that, that name. why won't they derogatory name? make a movie <laughs> for white, straight, cisgendered men to enjoy? That's what I, that's all I ask, Charlie. When will there be some space in Hollywood and the media mm. machine for white straight men? See, I made a similar joke. Uh, I got introduced to this um, writer, <laughs> a, a feminist writer, um, you know, and has actively campaigned for more diversity. And she's asking about um, pilot season and has it been going well? And I was like, yeah, I said, it's good. It was a bit quieter last year, but now it seems to be a lot of roles for for guys of my type, which is great because finally straight white males are getting a break in Hollywood. <laughs> she did not laugh. And so I repeated it because <laughs> I thought maybe she didn't, she didn't get the irony because, you know, I'm a straight white male and, you know, we've had everything handed to us. So, no, nah, she wasn't into it. Because that's what straight white men tend to do. If somebody doesn't enjoy their joke, assume that they didn't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Hang on. You must be hard of hearing. Let me get closer. I'll just yell it in your ear. Finally, straight white men are getting a shot in Hollywood. Ow, ow, why are you tasting me? Why? Well, I think they're probably different roles too. Like, I mean, I hope that we live in a world where the stories of women and people of colour and all these sort of things are being told. But you also can't tell those stories without some straight white men to be the antagonists in the story. Yeah, it's like the characters in uh, uh, Black Panther. Have you seen it, Black Panther? I really uh, wanted to kind of try to get some time to go and see it before we did this podcast because I thought it might be something okay. we could talk about. But um, my schedule's just been so terrible that I haven't had a chance. So I can't wait. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. What do you mean? It's all right. It's uh, meant to be great. Yeah. Uh, look, I think there's good elements to it. Um, it's definitely not the worst one, but... It's long, like it's such a long setup. And then the, 
when the good part actually begins, it's the film's like halfway, almost halfway over, and then they get away from the good bit. I mean, the good bit is basically Michael B. Jordan. You've probably read that everywhere. Yep. He's such a great villain. They just needed to use more of him. And I just sort of felt like this kind of idea that the people are like, oh, they created this like this this world and it's so well realized. And I, and I was like, it kind of looks like the same three sets. I'm pretty sure like every time they're on the street, it's the same <laughs> corner or every time they're inside, it's always in his lab or whatever. So I didn't, I was a bit underwhelmed by the hype, but it's definitely, it's enjoyable. And the actors are all great. Like it's all completely really well cast. It's just, I don't know, man, they introduced this villain with this really good motivation and you're like, oh my God, this is fucking fascinating. Why don't we, let's, let's, let's hear about more of this. Or, I mean, I feel like they've got this great villain. They should have brought him in right at the start and make the whole film about him. You know what I mean? It's a bit like the kind of Two-Face at the end of Dark Knight conundrum. It's like, well, you've just created a really interesting character and now we don't get to do much with him. Uh, Vox magazine, uh, off the back of Black Panther, did a list of... Uh, they ranked all the Marvel films, 18 oh, of yeah. them, uh, in order. Um, I will go through them, but what I'm going to ask you to do is rank your top five. So I'll give you the list here that they gave so that you have some thinking okay. time so that you can decide. But then I want your top five in order of Marvel films. So they've said in 18th place, Iron Man okay. 2. That seems about right. Mm-hmm. Uh, 17th place, The Incredible Hulk. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah. si- 16, Thor, The Dark World. So the second Thor. 15, Thor. Mm. Mm, interesting. Uh, 14, no, Iron Man 3. Uh, 13, Ant-Man. 12, Doctor Strange. 11, Captain America, The First Avenger. Uh, 10, Thor, Ragnarok. Uh, nine Guardians of the Galaxy, eight Spider-Man Homecoming, uh, seven mm. Avengers Age of Ultron, uh, six Guardians of the Galaxy 2, five Captain America Civil War, four Iron Man, the original, three Captain mm. America Winter Soldier, two Black Panther, and one The Avengers. So that's mm. so their top five were The Avengers, Black Panther, Winter Soldier, Iron Man, and Civil War. Uh, what would you say? Uh, I would I'd rank Iron Man number one. I'm, the original Iron Man, still number one. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And, and I think I'd have Winter Soldier as number two. Um, hmm. I don't know. I, I guess the Avengers. I mean, I don't think the Avengers is like... I think the Avengers is fun, but... Uh, yeah, and no, I guess that I have that as number three. And what have I got? Four and five. Uh, I actually really like the last Thor, to be honest. In terms of like how much I've enjoyed, like I was a bit stale on Marvel films until I saw Thor. Like I enjoyed Thor three much more than Black Panther, for instance. It's not to say that because of know, what? Because it stars a white straight man. A white straight white man. <laughs> God, maybe it might, maybe my movie, I'm not racist, but my, my movie tastes are. I'm not racist, but my movie tastes are definitely racist. Uh, I would put, in Civil War, I guess, number five. I think I'd, I'd round it out. But Iron Man, I think, is just almost perfect. But uh, yeah, I, Black Panther, I would put round, I think, it's better than Age of Ultron. So maybe around about six or seven. I thought Ant-Man was a lot better than Doctor Strange or Age of Ultron or any of those films. Interesting. Um, your top five there? I, I don't know what would be number one, but I'm going to say that 
maybe the Avengers. I, I do love the first Avengers film. I think it's a it's just so rewatchable. I really there's just bits of it that I just enjoy watching over and over. Maybe the first Avengers film. Uh, I'm yeah. really looking forward to the next Avengers film because I I really love what those guys did with um, Civil War, and so right. I reckon Civil War's but, pop. Go on. Yeah, no, go on. No, well, no. Well, technically, technically, uh, technically, Civil War is a Captain America movie. Avengers Two is the next Avengers. So if you're going on track record, the third Avengers film would be terrible. Well, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but they didn't make the second Avengers film. No. Yeah, I, the, didn't the guys who made Civil War make, aren't they making yeah. their next Avengers film? Uh, I think so. Yeah, Probably. I think so. Yeah. Right. So, oh, Guardians. Hang on. Sorry, I should swap out. I would put Guardians Two. I really enjoyed Guardians Two. I'll put that in my top five. I'll mm, kick out whatever okay. I had before. Civ- All right. Civil War. Well, I'm going to say uh, Avengers, Civil War. Um, Whoa. Thor, Thor Ragnarok, three. Ah, um, yeah. Iron Man, four. And have I missed something really obvious that I should have in um, there? I don't think so. So I reckon then I would say... Well, why did you save it for bloody Black Panther, you SJW? You oh, want to yeah. win over and some Black people? Panther. Vir- Black Panther without signal. even watching it. Definitely Black Panther. Black Panther is definitely on my list. And Wonder Woman, even though she's not a Marvel film. (laughs) Wonder Woman and Black Panther are definitely in my top five Marvel films. Well, I think actually that's not a bad comparison. I think Black Panther is as good as Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman, but I, I felt more... I felt more emotionally in Wonder Woman than I did in Black Panther. Black Panther is like a much bigger film and much more action-packed and stuff. But I think they both suffer from like third acts that are like... uh, Really interesting questions get raised and dynamics, and then it's like, oh. Yeah. So what you're saying is that you don't enjoy women or uh, black people <laughs> in movies. I hear it. I hear it loud and clear, Clawson. I get it. <laughs> as good a time as any to wrap up this show. <laughs> Where can people see you, Will? Uh, Adelaide Fringe Festival this weekend. Uh, you can catch uh, four more shows of Will Eagle, then uh, Brisbane Comedy Festival. Uh, on the Friday and Saturday nights, Justin Hamilton is uh, coming up to do support for me in Brisbane just for some fun so that Justin and I can have a catch up. But, you know, you guys get the benefit of that as an audience. Um, and then uh, Melbourne International Comedy Festival, uh, Perth Comedy Festival. I think Justin might be coming over for those shows too. Uh, and then uh, Canberra, Sydney, they are all on sale at the moment. Uh, comedy.com.au. Come out and see a show. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. We have a Patreon page, which is how we keep this show going. So uh, if you want to go to patreon.com forward slash TOEFOP, there's some free content. There's some content you can access by signing up. Uh, you can sign up from a dollar a day up to as much as you, you will, a uh, dollar a month, sorry, I should say. A uh, dollar a month to as much as you're willing to donate. So whatever you think this podcast is worth, we'll let you, you know, like our Radiohead released that album and they're like, hey guys, here it is. Just pay what, pay pay what you what think you it's want. worth. Basically, yeah. we are saying we are the Radiohead of podcasting <laughs> in that we were slightly commercially uh, acceptable to people for a while, but now we're just making the weird shit that we like that is incomprehensible <laughs> to most of our fans. But there's a loyal bunch of people who've stuck with us and still believe in us. Uh, if you do like the show too, I mean, it's been a while since we've been on the charts, but who knows? Maybe if we get a groundswell going, if you like the show, you can rate us or leave a review. There's some algorithm 
um, that gets us up on the charts. That'd be nice to see Tofop. Like, wouldn't that be a bit of nostalgia to see Tofop back in the top 500? <laughs> I mean, it'd be nice, right? It'd be like, oh, hang on. Did one of the guys from that podcast die? Why is that back on yeah. the charts? <laughs> it was a while where we ruled the charts, man. <laughs> Yeah, we were there, kings. There was a time. There was a time before people had podcasts that we were king of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we we're like one of those old department stores that can't understand why, like you know, we're not doing business anymore. And someone's like, "Have you heard of Amazon? Yeah, there's a whole yeah. place you can just order that shit online now." I've just opened a DVD store. Why didn't someone say something? <laughs> Uh, that's it, I think. I'm yep. Charlie Clawson. I'm Mel Anderson. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. It's not optional. You have to do it. <laughs> we used to go easy on it, but now you have to. Yeah. Yeah.